Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. When making the double chicken deluxe at Maccas, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Maccas, together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only. Kia Niro. Available as a hybrid or full electric model. This SUV is designed to cut through. Literally. Featuring a Kia First aerodynamic rear pillar design. Meaning the wind literally flows through the car. Yes, through the car. The all-new Kia Niro. In hybrid or full electric. Designed to cut through. Literally. Kia, movement that inspires. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Uh, 67 minute mark, Australia v New Zealand in the uh, friendly. Socceroos are 1 0 up. Uh, in the Women's Basketball World Cup, the last game of Group B is Australia taking on France. At the moment, France uh, just keeping Australia at bay. The Opals 36, France 42, with just under seven minutes to play in the third quarter there. Let's turn our attention to what will or won't or what may or may not take place on Saturday, the season 2022 grand final. It's been the greatest season in living memory. Um the grand final we're hoping will be the cherry on top, um, the piece de resistance of what's been the, the greatest season that I've seen in my time covering it and that I can remember in my life following it. And uh, if you haven't uh, decided where you think the game will be won and lost yet, well, I do yourself a favour and have a look at the Herald Sun website, Mick McGuan's Ultimate 2022 AFL Grand Final Preview. Um, we will. We are lucky enough to be able to tap into the great mind that is Mick McGowan, uh, Premiership winner uh, in his own right in 1990 with the Pies, and he's been good enough to join us as he does most weeks, and we greatly appreciate it. Mick, hello, mate. G'day, Sam. How are you, mate? Uh, couldn't be better. Really looking forward to what's to come on Saturday. Loving going through your article. I don't know if we've got time to do each segment that you've done, but what we'll do is just the what to expect, the key, and then if you were running both those teams. So let's start with Geelong. What do we get? What what do we expect from Geelong, Mick? Oh, I just think in that fine team, I don't think a lot will change based on the way they've gone into this grand final. To win 15 games in a row at AFL level at this time of the year, going into the, two, into the grand final pretty healthy, albeit a bit of a question mark over Max Holmes. I just think they're in really good shape. Um, so around contests, around clearance, I think the big question mark is Stanley versus Hickey. Uh, the rest of the midfield group, uh, they'll equip themselves strongly against their counterparts. Behind the ball, they're settled. The Stewart's a star. In front of the ball, Cameron and Hawkins are clearly formidable. I think where their improvements come from is their edge players. Holmes, you put him in that bracket. Close is a very smart forward. Stengel's been a revelation. Myers can bob up, bob up and impact the scoreboard. So I think we won't see a lot change. Blixarves is probably the one we'll be keeping an eye on what role he plays because he's so multi-positional. And I think there's going to be stages, as we witnessed last week, where a 
Stanley slides behind the ball for assistance to free up the Conning or Stewart on as he slide forward to really strengthen their attack in front of the footy. What's the biggest challenge facing the Cats? I think probably trying to stifle the ball movement. I went to Sydney last week to watch Collingwood and I was super impressed mm. about the width and length they get on the ground. And you've got so much selflessness. It's just got Don Pike written all over it, how their ball movement's improved since he's been at the Sydney Swans. And by that I mean for your listeners, if the ball's won by the Sydney teammate in defence, for example, they don't clog up lanes in front of the ball. Uh, wingers, half-forwards, even key-forwards, if they're not going to be a part of the next chain, really try to get chalk on their feet. By that I mean they run to the boundary line in the wing area or run back to their attacking goal line. It forces their opposition to make a decision. Do they go with them or do they maintain structure? If they maintain their structure and they make it compact, obviously they can go around and then into their forward line. But if they go with them, it just creates these channels or pop space opportunities for the Swans to penetrate the ball through the corridor and look for the likes of Chad Warner, who's a power runner, mm. finds space easily. If he gets the ball, then they can enter their forward line. And generally in that situation, you find 1v1 opportunities or, or at the back um, opportunities where they can run onto with Heaney or Papley, Haywood, blokes with speed, even Buddy, if he can turn his opponent inside out. So I think that's a huge challenge to say, well, does Geelong hold their nerve in their defensive structure? Or with the width and length that the Swans selflessly get on the game, does it really give them a chance to change angles with ball movement so they're not just dumping it down the line to suit Stuart DeConning and those types of players? So I love this section of your article in the Herald Sun. If I were the Cats. So Mick, if you were the Cats. Oh, there's a lot of situations that you can go through, um, but if you want to sort of narrow it down to the couple, I think they just have to get their defensive matchups right because they've got some threats in front of the ball. I think Papley and Heaney are the big ones that they have to get right. Um, I personally think Stewart's the matchup if Heaney's close to goal. But you go back to round two and watch the replay. Heaney started on a wing to get him up the ground, and Atkins picked him up on that wing, where I think Atkins. He's much better served as an inside midfielder. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he tries to go to Luke Parker at various stages to nullify his influence around the game. But I think from Geelong's perspective, they'll try to get their defensive matchups right. Um, through the middle of the ground, I think they'll let you know, Dangerfield hunt the footy. Guthrie could be the one that gets off the chain. And I'll be trying to get him off the chain as much as he could because he's had a very understated year. A lot of focus of attention goes to Cameron and Hawkins and Stewart and Dangerfield and Selwood. He's the unsung hero of that midfield group. If you look at his ranking points from champion data and the way he's performed on a consistent manner this year, you wouldn't be surprised at all by the completion of the year. He runs top three in their best and fairest. But I think in front of the ball, you've just got to really um, divide and conquer the Swans' defence and try to get as much separation from their role of defenders, and Paddy McCartney's that. So I think as much as Paddy McCartney will try to get to a smaller player, that smaller player's got to stay relevant. As soon as you go up into junk, that's when Paddy McCartan will say, well, you can go where you're not going to get it. You're not going to influence the game there. So long as I don't and I'll help your brother. or help out Dane Ramey, who I think will match up against Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron, respectively. So what about the Swans? What can we expect? What can we take to the bank with the Swans? Pressure, pressure, and more pressure. They've yeah. started through the final series. That's what their go-to is. They're the best two-way running ter- uh, team in the competition. 
they reference really quickly, they locate a dangerous opponent in space, or they go to an area of space where they can stop exits from the defensive area of the ground, exploiting their exploiting them so they don't go allow their officers to go back to front. So I think they're absolutely fantastic how they apply great pressure. And as I've said before, Sam, everyone talks about Collingwood's first quarter against Geelong in the qualifying final, and that was manic. So I just want to cast your mind back to the last quarter of Sydney versus Melbourne. The pressure they applied in the last 30 minutes, as opposed to Collingwood's first 30 minutes, they had a higher pressure rating in that last 30-minute stanza. So don't worry about can they do it for long enough and hard enough. Yeah. They've proved they can. They won a qualifying final doing it. We witnessed last week their pressure against Collingwood was far better early, which set up the victory. Yes, they looked fatigued late, and Collingwood got their game going late. But I wouldn't be too concerned about that. One thing they do bring, and like they did in round two, like Collingwood brought to Geelong in the qualifying final, you have to pressure Geelong with their ball movement. You can't allow them to accumulate uncontested marks. You can't allow their kickers to be in space unpressured. And when you're being pressured at the ball carrier in that situation, you can bring Geelong back to the field as per their 57% kicking efficiency was in round two and like it was in the qualifying finals at 61%. That's their two worst returns with kicking efficiency and it's on the back of two teams that were prepared to really work hard defensively and pressure their opposition with the footy. And it's probably the one area that Geelong don't rate highly in and that's pressure. Um, everything else, they statistically, they are almost um, flawless, but that's an area that the Swans... So you'd expect that if that's the case, then their kicking efficiency is going to be towards the higher end, Mick. So what's the challenge for the Swans? Oh, the Swans, it's about maintaining that, but also when they've got the footy, because you're coming up against a team that really do stifle your ball movement. And if they rely on back to front to score, um, the Swans won't win this grand final. So they've got to find mechanisms to really win stoppage and get on top around that area to get a territory game going their way because they give up stoppage and they try to win it back defensively, which they will, but then relying on going back to front to hit the score, but that's far too difficult against a team like Geelong. They're so defensively wired together. Their connectivity is outstanding. Their gap control to cover exits, the, lay, the layers of defence they use in their zone defence, so equidistant, it's very hard to penetrate. They just hold their nerve. They trust the players up the, up the forward end of the ground to put an enormous amount of pressure at the source. So they can either dump kick out or just don't get chances to change angles to stretch that zone. But this is where the real challenge lies because if the ball stays in the forward half of Geelong, we've, they've proved it this year, the time in forward half, they're the best in the competition at over seven and a half minutes. And you just can't exit with purpose to hit the scoreboard at the other end. So I think the challenge comes around the contest. That's where Hickey and midfielders have got to get to work, win the clearance, get it forward, lock it in at your end, as opposed to losing clearance and defending deep and trying to go back to front to score. And Mick McGowan, if you were the Swans, uh, you'd be doing what? I'd be, yeah, there's a number of things you'd be thinking about doing, but let's get your matchups down back right. I think that's important to shore up your defence. It's obvious to me that Tom McCartan is the ideal matchup for Tommy Hawkins. I was just amazed at his ability to spoil sitting close to him last week and get good distance uh, from those spoils. It's really aggressive. It's really purposeful. He does it at angles. He just takes away the front square opposition, small forwards in that marking contest to clear them. And he does it with an intent in mind to get it to the boundary or get it away from those front square players. So that's just really intelligent defence. 
Dane Rampey has to go to Jeremy Cameron. I think that's an obvious one because Cameron's in such good form. I don't think mm. you know, Paddy McCartan or that type could go to him. Um, in the middle of the ground, Luke Parker was magnificent with a selfless role against Jordan Bagoe last week. There's an angle that you could say, could he do that against Dangerfield? Yes, I like that. I like that, Mick. Well, it could possibly be a, a chance, but I think Callum Mills is the more um, logical one because Paddy will spend some time forward, and we know Mills can go back if they don't want to confuse that match-up to make sure. it simple, push him back behind the ball and go with him all the way to nullify his influence as a forward. And in front of the guard, in front of the ball, you've just got to really try to divide and conquer um, the Geelong defence. You can't be sort of beast or honey punt. You can't be in that area of turf altogether. So Buddy's got to control his forward line, have show, show great leadership, get separation. They should be not standing alongside each other as much as they possibly can. They've got to create as much space as they can to make sure, one, they're getting into usable turf. If they win it, they can go through them. The last thing you can do against Geelong's defence is actually um, be irrelevant. Go to areas of the ground you're not going to get used because you've got too many smart defenders that roll off zone or go to where the next kid's going to be, then they impact and they get their turnover game and they score on turnover. So there's an angle where you could say at times, and it mightn't happen all the time, you need six forwards at home to represent um, your team in front of the footy. Um, you don't want to be dumped kicking into an outnumbered situation because you're rolling up a high forward to saturate stoppage and you can't get back in with that dump kick. You're just going to kickstart uh, Geelong's turnover game in that situation. Who wins, Mick? I'm in the Cats' corner. Um, I have been for probably since around 9 or 10. Um, they represented great value from a punting perspective for most of the year. Um, once they got over Collingwood in that qualifying final, their odds plummeted. They're $1.50. Um, I think the Swans are $2.65. The margin between the two teams from a betting perspective is probably a little bit too great. But one thing I can say... These two teams are the two best form teams going into a grand final. And as you said right from the outset, Sam, this is a grand final for the ages. I think it's going to be built on pressure for mm. both teams. Who can withstand it? Who stands up under pressure? What players step up, up in that environment? Who go missing because the microscope's on everyone inside that arena? And there's no better place to be. Mick, I've been asking the question all throughout the show. What do you think the story will be come the final siren? What will we look to and go, oh, that's that's the story of the grand final right there? Is it a person? Is it a um, – who? what do you think or who do you think it will be? I think it's all about Joel Selwood, yeah. to be honest. Uh, I texted him today to wish him all the best because I've got a relationship with him from the time I saw him play at Sanders as a 15-year-old kid against uh, Gisborne when I was coaching up there in the Benigo League. Yep. And right from that outset, I knew he was made of special stuff. I knew he'd be an AFL player to the tune of 350-odd games. I didn't think that would happen. But to see him conduct himself the way he has, the way he spoke after receiving the Jim Steins medal, yeah. just goes to show what a great leader he is, not only for his footy club, but also for the community of Geelong and what he does selflessly outside those four, four walls. Uh, that, to me, is a sign of a real um, special person. Uh, but also to be captain, I reckon a fairy tale for him to lift that Premiership Cup. He's played in them before, but as a captain, for him to lift it, I think that'd be a special occasion to to, to uh, witness. Absolutely. Now, Mick, you've played in grand finals um, and, and you've observed grand finals. Yep. I asked the other question I asked this evening on the show is, what's your what do you love most about grand final day apart from the game itself? 
So mine, just to just to sort of mine was that that time between the final huddle and the opening bounce because I think in that moment there's nothing so pure because anything is possible. You, we could be on the verge of the greatest grand final ever, the greatest moment in a grand final ever. It is as pure and exciting a moment as I think there is in sport. Everybody on their feet, the players jostling for position, you're jostling for a spot in front of the TV. Like going up at the top of a roller coaster, you're about to head into the unknown and, and you're just set and so pumped for a wild ride. For me, it was walking into the ground, Sam. Yeah, just to engage with the fans and with Collingwood not winning a premiership for 32 years, the element of uncertainty was probably at the forefront of their lips. Yeah, oh, could this be our year after so much heartburn in that 32-year period? And I remember walking from where I got dropped off uh, through the crowd, where they were having barbecues, smelling the sausages and the chops and the steaks and the chicken, um, and then getting stopped in your tracks to sign some signatures and the best wishes, and hope you win it. We need to win it. We've got to get this monkey off the back, even though it might be a gorilla now. All those questions were about going into the game, and I even stopped and chatted to a few people because I had time on my side, and just encouraged you know, the atmosphere, basically, and I, I felt that was a way of probably um, decluttering a lot of things that go through your mind as a player, just mm. to engage with the fans, because I think it's the fans that make the game without question. And I think it's an important part of what they do for a footballer throughout any year, let alone on grand final day. And I think the game itself represents the fans on the biggest day of all. Oh, beautifully said. That nice, perfect mix of optimism and anxiety all rolled into one. Mick, you've set the table for us brilliantly, mate. Thank you so much for, for your time, uh, not just tonight, but all throughout the year. And uh, we are telling everyone to make sure that they, if they read one article, uh, it's your article uh, in the Herald Sun to get themselves all keyed in to what they need to know uh, heading into what we hope is going to be an all-timer. Enjoy. Yeah, you too, Sam. Pleasure being with you, mate. Uh, Mick McGowan, it's a great mind, uh, and we're very, very grateful to be able to tap into it. And every time we have Mick on, the texts come through. Why isn't Mick McGowan a senior coach? His football knowledge, unbelievable. That's from Billy. Uh, could not uh, agree with you more, Bill. It's uh, yeah, incredible insight and fantastic analysis that we're lucky enough to get from Mick. And make sure you do read his article in the Herald Sun. It's up there now on, on, on the website. Mick McGowan, the ultimate 2022 AFL Grand Final preview. Uh, back to wrap up the Sporting Capital uh, on the other side of this.